A warm welcome, and it is warm, isn't it? Which is very nice. Just a reminder that at the end of the service, when you're ready to leave, just stand up and then move directly to the exit, keeping a two-meter distance from others as you do that. And then the only other thing I need to mention is that we are meeting again this evening at 6 p.m., and as you know, that's just online, and it will be followed by a coffee time a little later, and hopefully you've had an email about that. That's uh, the only information I need to give you. We've come here to worship God, and before the musicians lead us in our first couple of songs, we're going to join together in speaking some truth from God's Word about the God that we've come to worship. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to say together the opening verses of Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. stronger the king of glory 
Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you because you are from everlasting to everlasting. 
We cannot reach back to a time before you, and we will never, ever get ahead of you. And we know that applies also to your amazing love. We realize that wherever we are, your love has already gone ahead of us. Before we even looked for you, your promises of forgiveness and life were there waiting for us. Before we formed any plans and ambitions for ourselves, you already had plans for us. Plans of grace and mercy and faithfulness. Before we began trying to make a life for ourselves, you were already there holding out the offer of life in Christ. And so we come to you this morning, the one who loved us first. We come not seeking your attention, but amazed and humbled that we already have your attention. We come to receive from you. And we ask that in this time, you will speak to us about your greatness. We ask that you will show us how blessed we are to call you our Father. Amen. If you have a Bible, Within reach, we're going to read two passages now that show God's love going ahead of a man called Abraham. At this time, he was still called Abram. His name would change later. But we're going to read first from Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12, first book of the Bible. And then we're just going to turn the page and read from Genesis 15. So first, Genesis 12, verses 1 to 7. And then turning the page to Genesis 15, 1 to 6. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 6. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out from the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem, and at the time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my state, estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness.
Abraham's experience is relevant to you and me today because God's dealings with Abraham are part of the story of God's grace. Grace that now includes you and me today. And our next song says, Let the earth resound with songs of praise to this God of grace. Turn with me now to the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Old Testament. And we're going to read the first 18 verses of Deuteronomy chapter 1. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan, that is, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, 
Liaban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir Road. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. This was after he had defeated Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, and at Edri had defeated Og, king of Bashan, who reigned at Ashtaroth. East of the Jordan, in the territory of Moab, Moses began to expound this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites, and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. At that time, I said to you, you are too heavy a burden for me to carry alone. The Lord your God has increased your numbers so that today you are as numerous as the stars in the sky. May the Lord, the God of your ancestors, increase you a thousand times and bless you as he has promised. But how can I bear your problems and your burdens and your disputes all by myself. Choose some wise, understanding, and respected man from each of your tribes, and I will set them over you. You answered me, what you propose to do is good. So I took the leading man of your tribes, wise and respected man, and appointed them to have authority over you as commanders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and as tribal officials. And I charged your judges at that time, hear the disputes between your people and judge fairly, whether the case is between two Israelites or between an Israelite and a foreigner residing among you. Do not show partiality in judging. Hear both small and great alike. Do not be afraid of anyone for judgment belongs to God. Bring me any case too hard for you, and I will hear it. And at that time, I told you everything you were to do. This is God's Word. Deuteronomy is a big book. You'll know that if you did have a glance at it this week. But even though it's a big book, it does have a clear message. And I think the message can be summed up with the words, choose life. This book calls us to a decision. But as important as our decision is, it is not the whole story. Here in the opening verses of the book, we learn that before we think about choosing anything, we have to understand the first thing. In this passage, Moses stands in front of the Israelites and he talks to them about something that happened 40 years previously. And that event 40 years previously was itself a call to remember something else that happened 650 years previously. But before we get to that, if we're going to make any sense of this passage, we have to get our bearings and we need to figure out what's happening. And we get the information we need in verses 1 to 5. We're told the Israelites are camped east of the Jordan. And for them, this is the place of decision. Verse 1 says, These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan. The book of Deuteronomy is a series of sermons preached by Moses in this one place. And the reason he's preaching these sermons is because Israel has a decision to make. 
and Moses wants them to make the right decision. The climax of the book comes in chapter 30 when Moses pleads with Israel to choose life. By the time we get to chapter 30, it will be clear what it means to choose life. It means to move forward in obedience to God. Not just once, but every single day. Choosing life, we'll learn in this book, is not a once-for-all decision. It's a decision that needs to be fresh every day. Choosing life is a way of life. It's a lifelong journey of moving forward in obedience to God. Now, as Moses preaches these sermons to the Israelites, they're camped opposite the land of Canaan. Here. The big arrow, if you can see the big arrow, shows where they have come from. The little triangle at the top of the arrow is where they are now, as Moses speaks to them. They're standing on the east side of the Jordan River, just at the northern edge of the Dead Sea, and they're looking west across the river at the land God has promised them. We'll come back to that in a few moments. But Moses knows Israel might be tempted to think of their decision the wrong way. They might be tempted to think they just make the decision once. They cross the Jordan River into the Promised Land and that's it. Decision made and carried out. Now they can get on with life however they want. But in this book, Moses is going to tell them the decision to cross the Jordan is just the start. Once they enter Canaan, they have a lifetime of daily decisions ahead of them. They have a lifetime of choosing life. Crossing the Jordan will only be the beginning. Choosing life must then become a way of life. And maybe that helps you and me get a sense of the relevance of this book for us. Maybe when we hear the words choose life, we think in terms of putting our trust in Jesus. Isn't that choosing life? Yes, it is. The New Testament says in John chapter 5, those who trust in Jesus cross over from death to life. That decision is comparable to Israel's decision to cross the Jordan River into the promised land. And if you haven't yet made that decision, to trust in Jesus, that is the place to start. You cannot choose life day by day if you've never taken the first step of crossing from death to life through faith in Jesus. That's the beginning. And then Jesus calls us to a lifetime of choosing life. In John chapter 15, he says, If you love me, keep my commands. And in another place, John says, his commands are not burdensome. Obedience to Jesus is not drudgery. Choosing obedience actually is choosing life. So there's a point of connection for us with this ancient book. Just like the Israelites east of the Jordan, you and I are called to a lifetime of choosing life. These opening verses tell us something else. Verse 1 told us this book contains the words Moses spoke. Verse 3 adds another important piece of information. The words Moses spoke to Israel were words the Lord had commanded him concerning Israel. So this book is not just Moses' bright ideas. This is not Moses' blueprint for a good life. We remember something we heard recently in 2 Peter. As Moses spoke these words, he spoke from God as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. So as far removed as this book might feel from us, from the culture and the time that we live in, and as we go through it, it will feel like another world at times, but it is still a word from God. And so, according to the New Testament, along with the rest of the Old Testament, this is also useful for us today, as it was for the Israelites who first heard these sermons from Moses. 
You and I can read this book expecting to hear a word that is relevant to our time and our place. One more thing to notice in these opening five verses. Verse 5 says, East of the Jordan, in the territory of Moab, Moses began to expound this law. To expound something is to explain it, to say what it means. That's straightforward, I think. But we need to think about here is what we need to think about is the word law. That's an English translation of the Hebrew word Torah. And there's a long tradition of translating Torah as law. The ancient scholars who translated the Old Testament from its original Hebrew into Greek gave this book the name Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy means second law, meaning it followed the first law given in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. But Deuteronomy was not the original title of the book. The original title is just, These Are the Words. You'll notice that's the first phrase in chapter 1, verse 1. But today, we're stuck with the title, Second Law, Deuteronomy. And I say we're stuck with that title because law is not the ideal English word to use. The reason is, for us, law has a very narrow meaning. It just means commands. So the law of the land says you must wear a seatbelt in the car. The law of the land says you mustn't drive over 30 miles per hour in built-up areas. That's what law means for us. But the word Torah has a much wider meaning than that. It certainly includes laws. A large part of Deuteronomy is given over to commands. But here at the beginning, what Moses is about to do is to retell bits of Israel's history. What he expounds here in our passage is not law in the sense we think of law. It's instruction. It is history that teaches us. So from now on, when we hear the word law, it might help to think of the word instruction. That's not to water down the authority of what we're going to hear, because as we've seen, this is still from the Lord. It is authoritative instruction for us. But it's just that we need to realize it's not only the commands that are authoritative instruction for us. The history is as well. And that's what we find in verses 6 to 18. As Moses begins his sermons to these people in the place of decision, he wants them to remember. God's decision came first. Verse 6 begins, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb. The name Horeb might not be familiar to you, but it's more commonly referred to in the Bible as Mount Sinai. These people standing east of the Jordan have come from Mount Sinai, or at least their parents set off from Sinai to make the relatively short journey to this place east of the Jordan. But the journey ended up taking them 40 years. And the generation that left Sinai died in the meantime. We'll hear about that next week in the rest of chapter 1 and then into chapters 2 and 3 as well. Here, though, Moses wants Israel to remember not what happened after their parents left Sinai. He wants them to remember what happened at Mount Sinai itself. The book of Exodus records how the Lord brought the Israelites out of terrible slavery in Egypt, and the place he brought them to was Sinai, also known as Horeb. He brought them to a mountain in the desert, and there God revealed himself to them, not only through frightening sights and sounds on the mountain, you can read about that in Exodus chapter 19, But God also revealed His will for His people at Mount Sinai. His instruction, most famously in the Ten Commandments. And so Sinai, also known as Horeb, was a place of powerful encounter with God. It was an awesome place for Israel. The God who saved them from Egypt met with them 
And he revealed himself to them. But look what Moses reminds the people of here in verse 6. The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great sea, the Euphrates. God told Israel that life with him is not about standing still. It's about moving forward. The exodus from Egypt and the powerful events at Sinai were not the end of the line for the Israelites. Those things were just the beginning. God has much more for them. And they're to press on to what God has for them. And specifically, what God has for these people is a land. There are other things too, but here what's mentioned is the land. The places mentioned in verse 7 outline the length and breadth of the land. And after describing the place, God says to the Israelites in verse 8, See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. What's the significance of these words? What do they show us? They show us when God gives a command, His command comes wrapped in His promise. In this big book of instruction, Instruction that does contain many, many commands. The first lesson of the book is God's commands never come to us isolated from his promises. So we must never think, I'm going to get to grip, grips with God's commands. And I'm going to show God I'm worthy of his blessing and reward. I'm going to show him that through my obedience. But here in verse 8, you can see why that approach is misguided. The verse begins with God's gracious promise. I have given you this land you're looking at. And then comes the command to go in and take possession of the land. And then comes the reminder that many generations ago, God promised this to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We read that promise earlier this morning. From Genesis chapter 12, a promise given about 650 years before Abraham's descendants stood at Mount Sinai. So yes, this is a book to call Israel to choose life. They do have a decision to make. But they need to know this. God's decision came first. His promise came first. If and when Israel takes possession of the land, it will not mean they have earned it. They will have it because God graciously gave it to them. That was the lesson the Israelites at Sinai needed to learn. And here, 40 years later, as a new generation of Israelites stands now east of the Jordan, they need to learn the same lesson. This reminder of their history comes to them as a fresh word of instruction from the Lord. And it comes as a word of instruction to us as well. Because as Christians, we need to be serious about obedience. And as we look together at Deuteronomy, we'll be thinking a lot about obedience. But we must always keep this truth in mind. God's commands to us also come to us wrapped in his promises. You can see that in the New Testament. The New Testament tells us this is love for God to keep his commands. As God's people today, we face the same challenge as the Israelites east of the Jordan. Choose life. Live a life of obedience. 
And again, just like the Israelites, we must never forget the promise that is wrapped around the commands. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. When you and I hear the call to love God, we must never forget that God's love came first. Our obedience is a response to his love. It's not a way to earn his love. As God's people, we are a people with a history. And that history reveals an unchanging God. The Israelites east of the Jordan could look back 40 years to Sinai and they could hear a word that was as fresh and relevant to them as it had been to their parents. And today, we can look back three and a half thousand years to Mount Sinai and we can hear a word that is fresh and relevant for us. That word tells us God's commands come to us wrapped in his promises. When you and I hear the call to obey, it's a call to come and press on into his love. To press on into more of the good things he has waiting for us. And this word from Sinai also tells us that our responsibility comes from his blessing. Here, east of the Jordan, Moses continues pointing the people back to Sinai in verse 9. At that time, I said to you, you are too heavy a burden for me to carry alone. The Lord your God has increased your numbers so that today you are as numerous as the stars in the sky. If the previous verses were a command wrapped in a promise about what God would do in the future, here it's about the responsibility from com that comes from what God has already done. We've heard how God promised the land to Abraham when Israel was at Sinai, the fulfillment of that promise was still ahead of them. They didn't have the land yet. But by the time they were standing at Sinai, God had already gone a long way to fulfilling another promise he made to Abraham. The promise of numerous descendants. We read that one earlier in Genesis chapter 15. God made that promise when Abraham and his wife Sarah were old and childless. Eventually they did have a child, Isaac. But it was only after Abraham's death, during his family's time in Egypt, that his descendants grew, finally, into a nation. Exodus chapter 12 says, When they left Egypt, they were at that time about 600,000 men on foot beside women and children. So Abraham's descendants at Sinai, they arrived at Sinai already blessed, already experiencing the fulfillment of God's promises. So the responsibility Moses talks about here in these verses, it's not a responsibility that comes as a severe imposition on the people. This is a responsibility that comes from being blessed. Moses recalls how the blessing of increased numbers required the people to get themselves organized. It was totally unworkable at that stage for Moses to carry the burden of leadership alone. So Moses and the people worked together to put in place layers of leadership throughout the people. Verse 15 mentions some were appointed with oversight of thousands, some with oversight of hundreds, and so on. But more significant than the structure itself, what we need to see is the point of this organization. 
You can see it in verse 16. Again, this is reminding the people east of the Jordan what happened 40 years before at Sinai. Verse 16, I charged your judges at that time, hear the disputes between your people and judge fairly. Whether the case is between two Israelites or between an Israelite and a foreigner residing among you, do not show partiality in judging. Hear both small and great alike. Do not be afraid of anyone, for judgment belongs to God. Bring me any case too hard for you, and I will hear it. God has blessed the Israelites by making them very numerous. But that blessing has a purpose. It's a purpose that will come out often throughout the book of Deuteronomy, and we already see it here. God has made Israel into a numerous people because he wants them to be a living light to the nations around them. Israelite society is to be a society of justice and brotherhood. A place where the rich don't get their way just because they're rich. A place where the poor don't get away with murder just because they're poor. Israelite society is to be a fair society. And notice that the foreigner living in Israel is to receive the same even-handed treatment as those who are born Israelites. All of that is going to be fleshed out later in the book. The lesson here at the start is simply to see the responsibilities faced by God's people are responsibilities that come from his blessing. The Israelites might find it daunting to organize themselves into a just and fair brotherhood. They might at times feel that to be a burden. But they always need to remember, if it wasn't for God's blessing, they would be nothing. They'd be a tiny family of pagans worshiping idols, living and dying without God. With no hope for the future. That's the life Abraham had before God called him. And the challenge Abraham's descendants now face of living as a distinctive people, a people who display the character of their God, that is just an indication of how God has lifted them up and blessed them. And for you and me, as we pay attention to this book in the weeks ahead, we will be confronted with responsibilities. Now, clearly not every command in this book is going to translate directly to our situation. If you've looked ahead, you'll already know that. But the principles do translate to us. We are to be a people who are different, and we're to be different for God's sake. We're to be a people who seek to honor God with every area of our lives. And maybe at times we will feel that to be a heavy responsibility, a burden even. Why can't we just be like everybody else? But when we begin to think of living for God as if it's a burden, let's stop and remember. What kind of life would we have without him? Where would we be if he hadn't come to us in our spiritual death and raised us to life? Just like he came to Abraham and Sarah and raised a people from Sarah's dead womb. Without God, you and I would be living for idols and headed for hell. And whatever responsibilities we have, they are just a consequence of the great blessing God has poured out on us. That we should be called children of God. So whatever responsibilities you face, whatever lies ahead of you this week, maybe particularly responsibilities at home, 
responsibilities at work or school or college. Whatever those responsibilities are sitting waiting for you in the week ahead, and then as you consider your added responsibility as a Christian to fulfill those responsibilities in a God-honoring way, remember the blessing that lies behind that added responsibility you have. You are a dearly loved child of God. God has made you a co-heir with his son, Jesus. Yes, those blessings bring responsibilities. But let's never forget the responsibilities we have just flow out of God's great and gracious blessing. Our last song gives us the words, I think, to respond to the blessing God has poured out on us already. And to respond to the promises of what's still ahead of us. Let's use these words to respond, to give thanks to our good and gracious King. Did 
We love because he first loved us. Amen. Mm-hmm. 